BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Was looking through some news stories the other day and saw this amazing piece by Dr. Jacoba Williams, a cultural economist with the Economic Policy Institute, EPI, with their program on race, ethnicity, and the economy. EPI.org is their website. The title was Black Deaths at the Hands of Law Enforcement Are Linked to Historical Lynchings. I found this just extraordinary. Dr. Williams's Twitter handle is at J-H-A-C-O-V-A, Jacova. Dr. Williams, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us and, and for this extraordinary research. I suppose at a certain level, it makes sense that those communities that historically have lynched African-Americans uh, more frequently than others, shall we say, would mm-hmm. have more black deaths at the hands of law enforcement officers right now. But what a shocking connection between then and now. Or is it not at all shocking? Is this simply the modern version of lynching? People, you know, I think are correctly referring to what these uh, Minneapolis police did to George Floyd as a lynching. What say you? And what does your research say? Oh, I said, yeah, no, I definitely say that it is a modern day lynching. What is a definition of a lynching? I think that people think that lynchings are defined by time, but they aren't. They have four characteristics. The first is that there's evidence that someone was killed. The second is that someone was killed illegally. The third is that three or more people participated in the killing. And the fourth is that they were claiming tradition to be serving tradition or justice. When you look at George Floyd's killing, what do you see? Video evidence of him being killed, someone kneeling on him until he suffocates, which is illegal. Four police officers participated in it, and they claimed to be serving justice for a supposed $20 counterfeit bill. So it is modern-day lynchings. And so I wasn't surprised at all um, that this thing connected. It's appalling. It's unfortunate. But I am happy that people are reading it. I'm happy that you invited me so that we can actually talk about what's going on and how it connects to the past. So, Dr. Williams, would it just be too simplistic or, or even facile to say that What we have here are communities where white supremacy, white racism, white fear, the various dimensions of, you know, why white people behave badly around race Mm -hmm. 
are just basically community traditions and mm-hmm. and that that's the point at which it needs to be attacked that's the root that needs to be pulled up with this weed or is it something more uh, less visible less obvious uh, a little more sophisticated or or complex i guess would be the right word I think both things are true. And so you said at the beginning, I'm a cultural economist. And what that means is I look at how historical events continue to influence the economic and political behavior, in particular of black individuals in the South. What I found in my research is that there is a tradition of racism. Racism persists over time. And that's what you're seeing in these counties. You're actually seeing that these counties that can be linked with lynchings, they also can be linked with low voter turnout amongst blacks. These areas also have a higher percentage of blacks who are killed by police officers. And I don't think that this is a coincidence. I think the good thing about this research is that it highlights that, hey, there is something called racism. It does persist over time. It has been a part of tradition. It's been a part of the culture, certain communities. And once we identify it, we next need to identify how do we stop it. And I think the first thing Mm -hmm. is talking about it. I'm actually just saying that, yes, history matters. I always say, if you look at my Twitter, the first thing that I tweeted was that history matters. And I think a lot of times we want to shy away from history, but we have to confront it. Um, And I think we have to work with people like myself, economists, academics, grassroots organizations, uh, people in law enforcement. And we need to come up with some type of remedy for this issue that's called racism. Dr. Williams, I told this story a few times on the show recently about how my wife, uh, when she was in high school in East Lansing, Michigan, had to take black studies class. And it was an all-white school, but it Mm -hmm. changed her life. I mean, in a really consequential way, her understanding of race. That's the sort of thing that it seems, I mean, if it's parents teaching their kids their own racism, Mm -hmm. which seems like the simplest, Mm -hmm. most straightforward explanation for this, the place where you can get between the parent and the child is in the schools. Is it not? And might that not be the place, you know, in these communities that have not only historical lynchings, but also now contemporary murders by police and, and, you know, low voter turnout of minorities and things because of the structural engineering of the local power system, political power system. Isn't that where we should be trying to intervene at the level of elementary, junior high or middle schools and, and high schools? I could not agree with you more. Talking about stories, I'm from New Orleans. So that's where the beautiful accent comes from. And one thing about mm-hmm. New Orleans is that people love New Orleans and they love, you know, to come and come from Mardi Gras, to drink, party. But one thing that they don't realize about New Orleans is that it's a very segregated city. I went to all mm-hmm. black schools my entire life. So elementary, middle, and high school. I went to, my middle school was named Thurgood Marshall, but two years prior to me attending it, it was named Beauregard. I um, mean, it was named Beauregard from its um, founding date. And you actually have black people arguing for the fact that a, hundred, a, a school that had 100% black population tending it went to a school named after a Confederate general and how crazy this was. And so it's one of those things where I didn't actually have my first black friend until I went to grad school. Because, again, New Orleans is so segregated and people don't see that. And so one thing that I think that is huge is that we do, we have to look at how we're teaching our students. So like the books that they read, but just who they interact with. We live very segregated lives, and I wish that really people could look at that. Um, When you're going to the grocery store, who do you see at your grocery store? If you believe in God, if you're going to church, who's at that church worshiping with you? So I think it starts with education, but I think that we need to really have more interaction with each other to realize that we really are a human race. We are the same. And once we can see each other that way, I think that it helps us to erase this problem that we have, which is racism. 
In fact, I just had this discussion with a caller in the last hours who was saying, well, we just need to teach our police better. And I'm like, no, we need different kinds of police. We need to change the structure Mm -hmm. of our policing. But here we're talking about teaching our kids better. Are there other structural changes that could be made that would help that will help flush racism out of white culture? In your opinion. Oh, for sure. One thing that I think is huge, um, I'm a big voting um, advocate. And so one thing that I want to do is ease the voting policies that we have. And so I think that we need to expand our voting methods. I think what you just saw in Georgia, in particular in Atlanta, is just a travesty. So I think that when we actually have racist policies, racist politicians, we need to make sure that people can vote these people out of office. And we need to also support new politicians as well who have new and innovative ideas. There is nothing called race-neutral policies. Either a policy is racist or it's not. And so we need to make sure that we're very clear about that. And again, when we see that someone's implementing racist policies, that we make sure that everyone has a, a right to vote, um, to voice how they feel about that and to vote people out. That's my main thing. Right. Call it out. Identify it. I, some of these people I don't think can be shamed, but I get your point. And then people vote, voting people of goodwill. Amen. Dr. Jacoba Williams, a PhD, cultural economist, Economic Policy Institute, epi.org is the website uh, with the Race, Ethnicity, and Economy program. Dr. Williams, thank you again so much for dropping by today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. On the line with us right now is Ben Dixon, host of The Benjamin Dixon Show. TheBenjaminDixonShow.com is the website. His Twitter handle is TheBPDShow. And uh, if you watch my Twitter feed, you see I, Ben and I follow each other, and I often tweet stuff that he's tweeting. Ben, welcome back to the program. Tom, it's such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It is always great talking with you, my friend. I, I'm, I'm seeing here, Tucker Carlson in the last couple days has lost T-Mobile, Smile Direct Club, Disney, Very, and Papa John's Pizza for saying that, black li- you know, that these protests are not about black lives. Trump is pulling back on enforcement against redlining. He's planning on a campaign rally on Juneteenth in Tulsa, where the Greenwood Massacre happened in 1921. And uh, we're being told it's going to be written by... Stephen Miller. We've got stories now in the news this morning of two more African-American men who have died at the hands of police while saying, I can't breathe. And, yeah. and, and perhaps most importantly, or most interestingly, um, there's uh, a fascinating piece where uh, Jennifer Cobina, the author of Hands Up, Don't Shoot, a criminology professor at Michigan State, uh, African-American, has said that this current moment she said, uh, as Hemingway once described bankruptcy, it, it comes on gradually and then hits suddenly, that this moment might be more like uh, Me Too, that this is actually, we have finally hit a permanent shift in America. So uh, let me toss it to you, Ben. Number one, do you think that Trump is trying to start another riot in Tulsa? And number two, has America, is America finally over it with uh, white supremacy and white racism? Oh man, the second question is, is is a tough one. So, dude, let me let me start with the first one. Uh, Donald, what Donald Trump is really trying to do is to rally his base. Obviously, the, they love the red meat, they love the dog whistles and the symbolism of hosting his first rally on Juneteenth. 
a day that is very significant to African Americans across this country, and doing it in Tulsa, as you referenced the Tulsa race riots, uh, the massacre actually uh, was not much of a riot uh, when they crushed and killed so many black people in, in a wealthy black community there. The symbolism speaks volumes, and then obviously you mentioned that Stephen Miller, his, uh, his advisor, is going to be writing the speech. Stephen Miller is one of the preeminent white supremacists in this country, um, and he makes no bones about it. He, he definitely stands behind uh, what he believes. This is all to rally his base, but there's a little, there's something more insidious going on here. Uh, he does all of this, which is a signal to his racist base, but he does it by putting black faces on top of it. People uh, like uh, Ben Carson, he referenced him at his press conference yesterday, uh, and the various ministers that sit around him on a regular basis. And so what he's attempting to do is to give the appearance that he's pro-black while sending the signal of anti-black to his, uh, to his base. So He's, he's become quite proficient in doing that. Um, but to your, to your second question, which I think is more important, because this is, we should expect this from Donald Trump, right? Everything that he's doing, we fully expect it. But the second question is really the, uh, the real one. Where are we in terms of white uh, supremacy in this country and racism in this country? And I think something significant happened over the last two weeks. Um, a lot of people who may never have taken black people seriously, when we said that this is how police behave across this country in black communities, for the first time they saw it, they saw it happening to not only black people, but they saw it happening to white people, middle age, middle income white people, white women getting beat by the police because they had the nerve to stand up for black lives. And so if nothing else has happened, I think we've had a moment um, similar to Bloody Sunday, where a lot of people never really saw that kind of violence happening to black people uh, back on Bloody Sunday. Similarly, I think uh, a lot of white Americans are seeing for the first time just how vicious the police are. And I think that's going to have a long lasting effect. Yeah, we see these turning points and we often see them in retrospect. You know, we look back and go, oh, yeah, you know, when when uh, Emma Till's family asked Jet to publish the picture of him uh, with an open casket for the black community, yeah. that was a major turning point. Um, uh, and for the civil rights movement, that was a major turning point. Yeah. Um, Bloody Sunday, a major turning point in co- in white consciousness across America as it was being broadcast on, on television live on the television networks, black and white, but live. Um, no pun intended. Uh, and and you know the 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 protests after Donald Trump was elected, uh, you know, the, yeah. and 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 arguably the entire Hillary Clinton campaign candidacy anyway, not her campaign, but her candidacy, the symbolism of her candidacy, um, and of course the, the the whole Me Too thing that came out of Ronan Farrow's piece. Um, how if we are at that point? I mean, one of the things that we're seeing that came out of Me Too is a lot of a lot of men right across the board. Uh, lost their jobs because of behavior that they've engaged in, in some cases going back 20, 30 years. And right. uh, and it's continuing. I mean, Chris Matthews was the latest to be pulled out of the media, for example. You, they're the ones that are probably the most visible. But this is happening across corporate America. And more and more women are, are taking power. This This happened arguably a generation ago in many Northern European countries that are now led by women. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, so we're seeing now... Something about race that that seems analogous, but we're we're in the middle of it. It's so hard when you're right. in the middle of something to know if this is going to be, you know, to 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 paraphrase Joe Madison, you know, a moment or a movement. 
And, right. and if it's a movement, is it one that is going to have deep, deep roots? Because, you know, frankly, it's, it's going, the white community is who created this problem starting 400 right. years ago. The white community has maintained this problem right up to this day. We've got a white president in the White House who's continuing to promote this. And uh, in fact, as I was mentioning, I, I, I think this is just amazing. Uh, the Justice Department has dropped their redlining cases uh, with right. regard to mortgages by 84%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the Obama, the last case, the, the last year of the Obama administration, they prosecuted 25 cases. Trump is down to three. And, and he's undoing the ones that Obama did. I mean, you know, it's like, wow, look at the contrast. So in the two right. minutes we've got left here, uh, uh, Ben, wh where do we go and how do you see this playing out? So I, I think the challenge is a little, um, a little more daunting because we're striking at the power center um, of America. This, this movement is, uh, of course, it was catalyzed by George Floyd in that horrific video, uh, but it, it took on so much more meaning in terms of fighting against this police state. And, and, and I think a lot of Americans have to just come to terms with the fact that we do, in fact, live in a police state. I, I don't think there's any other way to categorize it when you see how the police came out at the bidding of mayors uh, to protect, quote-unquote, their streets. And I think if we can make sure that every American who is operating in good faith and genuinely wants to create a more perfect union, if we can continue to show them those images and help them to realize the fact that we are only as free as the ruling elite allows us to be and that we're fighting and striking at the core of this power structure, um, then we have a fighting chance because people need to understand that first and foremost. But it's still daunting for us to take on such a a power structure head on because we're not we're not just talking about racism which is it's in itself its own beast but we're also talking about the power of the ruling elite to use the political structure to weaponize the police to keep us suppressed and keep people who would challenge them suppressed so that's what this was really about and and we talk about black and white it is very significant that we have more white people today who can see that very clearly and i think what's going to happen that will ensure tom that this is not just a moment but a movement is is the fact that we saw so many people just just living their lives some some were not even protesters getting abused by the police. I think those are images that we cannot let get out of the people's minds. Very quick, Ben, where's the best place for people not familiar with your show to find it? They can go to the, the BenjaminDixonShow.com or check me out on Twitter at Benjamin P. Dixon. That's where all of it goes on. Great. Cool. Ben Dixon, The Benjamin Dixon Show. Thank you, Ben. Great talking Thanks with so you. Much, Tom. See you next time. So let's just, uh, you know, pop through some of this, uh, some of the news here, this, the various dimensions of this. I toss this out to you essentially as a question. Do you agree with this professor who is suggesting that, not even Donald Trump, I, I was going to say, you know, his fanning the flames here, but, uh, you know, whether or not we had Trump as president, I suspect much of this would be going on as it is right now. Is this a turning point? I, I think it's too early to say, but... I agree with Ben. I think all the signs are there. A lot of it, as I, as I said, I think it's going to depend on white America. How thoroughly, deeply, profoundly, shockingly awakened will white America be as a result of what white America has seen over the last few months? Again, because white America is the cause of this. To sit around and say, oh, well, black people have to, have to fix this is crazy. 
If you're white, I'm white, you and I need to fix this. And we need to be talking to other white people about fixing this. And we need to be talking to the white racists among us and telling them that they're effing nuts, that they're not helping the situation. I mean, this is, this is what NASCAR did. They said, okay, no more Confederate flags. And now you've got, you know, it's becoming a cause, right? I'm sure it'll be a big cause over on Fox News and Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson will be all over it. And right-wing hate radio probably already has. I shouldn't say I'm sure. I bet, I'm, I would be betting that they would. We'll see, we'll see, maybe they'll surprise me. But now we've got Trump going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Greenwood, the suburb of Tulsa, was called the Black Wall Street back in 1921, the most prosperous black community in America. And it was looted and sacked and African-Americans were murdered by a white mob, uh, sometimes referred to as the Tulsa race riots, but uh, there was no riot. It was, you know, black people were not fighting back. They were hiding and and running. And well, there were a few who were fighting back, but by and large, they were being murdered. They were being slaughtered. I mean, it was a, a shocking, horrifying uh, event for them. And Donald Trump wants to go there on Juneteenth. Juneteenth is the day that the last group of African-Americans in, in the United States, in Texas, learned that the Civil War was over and slavery was ended. Officially, you know, more or less officially ended. I, you could argue the 13th Amendment took a few more years, but there it was. That's Juneteenth. And that's the day that Donald Trump wants to go to Tulsa? and give a speech written by Stephen Miller, the guy who says that, uh, who Richard Spencer, America's foremost racist, white supremacist, and Nazi, Richard Spencer claims he was Stephen Miller's mentor. And, you know, we've seen this release now, Stephen Miller's emails showing, you know, yeah, okay, he's a, he's a screaming, flaming racist. At the same time, the leaders of every branch of our military are now reaching out to service members to condemn racism. They announced that they were going to remove the name of the traitorous generals, these Confederate generals from these military bases. The Senate Armed Services Committee, which is controlled by Republicans in the United States Senate, passed a, a piece of legislation to or a resolution to take down these names. Now, it was a voice vote. We don't know exactly who voted how, but at least one or two Republicans voted in favor of this. So how is this change happening? Because if you look at the top, America is still white controlled. America's oligarchs are almost without exception white. The two exceptions, you know, Oprah and there's a, a black, I believe he's an insurance uh, guy who's, you know, who's a billionaire. You know, that's about it. Right. And so their wealth is actually increasing every day while the rest of America is getting poor. Killing racism is damn hard because of the benefits that racism provides to the racists or people who are just fine with that racism as long as nobody talks about it in the white power structure in America. And, you know, particularly our economic and political power structure. And America's most well-integrated institution, the military. America is, I believe, 17% black. The military is 21% black, if I'm remembering those numbers correct. If, if I'm off, I'm off by not more than 1% or 2%. Cities across America are rejecting racist policing. The media is finally starting, starting to discuss these issues, not just in the context of, oh my God, look at those people rioting, but rather... This has to do with institutional racism, this, you know, the institution of policing, the institution of banking, 
Now, you know, Trump actually, uh, you've got pervasive redlining now in 61 metro areas, documented. And the Trump administration says, oh, redlining, this is the practice of banks not loaning money to people who live in predominantly black neighborhoods. Redlining is okay with us, essentially. So, you know, we're at a crossroads. Are we going to choose the path that Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and the Boogaloo Boys have put before us? Or are we going to choose the open, inclusive type of America that increasingly our military is representing and choosing, where every life is respected and honored? Let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Macario in San Jose. Hey, Macario, what's up? I feel that uh, the voices of other minority people have been silenced in the middle of all this because everything that I have heard about has been, you know, black and white, black and white, black and white. And it's not about indigenous people, Chicanos or Latino people. It's not about uh, Asian people, poor whites. And uh, I don't want to make it into like a, a divisive kind of uh, narrative right now, but the way I've been watching CNN, ABC, Progressive Radio, you know, meet the press. It's all about the narrative is about black and white, just black and white. That's it's because the majority of the people who are being murdered by the police disproportionately, Macario, are black. They're African-Americans. They're people of African ancestry, not his, not Hispanics. Now, you're absolutely right that other minorities have gotten, you know, the short end of the stick forever and are and still are to this day. Native Americans at the top of that list. And and I would say, you know, arguably you could argue that Hispanics are also Native Americans. That said, though, the problem that's being identified is not a problem associated with, oh, this is uh, a particular minority group. It's the problem of white racism. And if you can pull up white racism from its root with regard to black people, where it is most intense, and, you know, and, and frankly, there's anti-black racism. You know, I've heard anti-black racist sentiments expressed by Hispanic people who've called into this program in the past. If you can pull up that, that most fundamental level of racism, uh, you know, the, the original sin, as it were, of slavery in the United States, and address it, Frankly, I think it's going to help every other minority right across the board. So, Gilbert in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Gilbert, what's on your mind? Fine. How are you doing, Tom? I'm uh, 75 years old. I was born in 1944 on the east side in San Antonio, Texas. I was what you might call a Malcolm X boy during the 60s and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to say I've seen this what's going on now so many times before. I was about 12 or 13 years old when Emmett Teal was in the Jet magazine. And I am just fed up with every time uh, something like this happens. The focus should stay on black men being shot down by cops. And it doesn't. What happens is every time there's a mass thing about black men being killed, then everybody else gets in on it. You know, we have to make sure we save the children at the border. And we got to make sure that we talk about the indigenous Indians being, and I'm not saying those things were right. They were all wrong, just as it's wrong to kill black men and stuff. But what happens is people are in the street about black men being shot and killed. Every talk show that you hear now, you can just see the conversation swaying over to other social problems. We've had social problems 
for 200 years in the United States. Let's just take one at a time and get it done. I do not support police. I think we should do away with police departments, not just kick them out, but do away with them and phase them in with other type of uh, police because black people have no chance under this system. We just don't have a chance. And I've lived 75 years, and I've been accosted so much by white police officers, and, and I'm just lucky to be alive. And I'm just fed up. with. Uh, I see things going on. I graduated from the University of Houston and California State College at Bakersfield and Prairie View A&M. And so I, I have an education, and I have an opinion. And I'm just tired of what happens. Whatever black people to come to the forefront, everybody else gets in on it, and the focus has changed. And that's all I got to say. Well, you said it very well, Gilbert, and I, I totally get it. I salute your perspective. There is a crisis in this country of police behaving badly broadly, but the tip of that spear, the point of that crisis is police in the United States killing black men, and to a very smaller degree, black women. I mean, look at Sandra Bland, for example. I can't add anything more to it. Thank you very much, Gilbert. Good to hear from you. Bill in Woodstock, New York. Hey, Bill, what's up? Okay, Tom, I wanted to uh, talk about humanity taking it out of the area of race, just plain human beings being humane. When we diminish the humanity of one people or one person, we diminish our humanity also. And if the answer to this situation, to racism, is that white people have to step outside of their comfort zone. White people are the ones who control the interactions between white people and black people. And it's going to be painful. Change is always painful. And especially when we're looking inward and looking for our shortcomings and our flaws. But it's something that white people are going to have to do or this situation will never change. And since it was a situation, it's a situation that was created by white people, it's maintained by white people, white people are the ones who are going to have to change it. And I honestly believe that there are some sincere white people who want to change. I see that. I feel that now. And when the coronavirus started, I thought now is a chance for all of us to see how much we depend on each other and how much each and every one of us are important and how we contribute to the well-being and functioning of this society. But we black people cannot do it for white people. All we can do is support you, and that's all we want to do is support you to help you to change, to get in touch with your full humanity, because right now white people are cheating themselves. Knowing different people and being in touch with your full humanity is a beautiful thing. I am an African-American. When I saw those babies being torn from their mother's arms, they weren't black babies. They were brown babies. But to me, from my humanity, they were just babies. And it tore my heart up to see that. 
And this is what white people have to do. You have to have some discomfort. And white people are not used to having any kind of discomfort. They are used to the world adapting to them. And Trump is the prime example of that. Black people are here to help you and support you, but you, white people, have to make the first move and to understand that the little things that you do matter. For instance, a friend of mine and her three-year-old nephew were walking in the park, and it was a white woman holding the hand of a little white boy the same age. When they became, when they came abreast of each other, the white woman snatched the little white boy on the other side of her so that he would not be close to these two black people. It's simple things. Joan, I know where that story, story, where the moral of the story is going. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Joan, thank you so much for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Carol in Port Charlotte, Florida. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Somebody was just asking about the black policemen who don't do anything. And I, I've always felt that we live in a society where everybody is programmed the same way, whether you are black or white. We're all unconsciously programmed to prefer whiteness and to promote and to protect it. 
So I am a black caregiver, for instance. I used to live in facilities, and I realized that when my children came around, I was always uncomfortable about having them sit at the table with the white residents because I didn't want someone to come in and think that I'm giving away my food, their food. Whereas my white friend would come and I would have no problem with it. And it took me a long time to realize how we, how we as black people, we go around monitoring our body language, our thoughts and our words to make sure that we're not rocking the white supremacy boat. And, you know, people just automatically, when you get a job, you want to protect it. And it's really no different from the people who are protecting Trump. And, you know, they know that he's doing wrong, but they don't say anything. But they have, um, many of them are financially secured. So this black thing, it's for us, um, black people especially, to become aware of the programming that we have been dealt with and that it's inside of there. And we always, instead of monitoring ourselves to not rock the, the, the racial boat, monitoring ourselves to, to, to realize that it's there and how can we get rid of it. You said something last week about yourself. You were, taught, you were listening to a black man speak and he, he was so eloquent and you found yourself marveling that he speaks so eloquently. I want you to know that black people think the same way. We hear black people speak eloquently and, and, and we too feel the same way. Wow. And so it is something that is in all of us. And when black people come to know how damaged we are, that is why our immune system is so compromised. Our organs are so compromised. Not because we're inferior. It's because of the things that we have to live with. And as you said about yourself, only becoming aware, admitting it, don't be ashamed of it. Just find a way how to get rid of it and realize we all can clear up the, the, the nonsense that way. That's all. Thank you, Carol. That was absolutely brilliant. And yeah, none of us are immune from this. It's easier, I suspect, for some of us to acknowledge and recognize it than others. And But it, it happens everywhere at every level. And it's a poison. It's a poison that we've got to... Uh, We've got to pull out. Thank you, Carol. That was that was brilliant. Uh, Rudy in Atlanta. Hey, Rudy, what's up? You know, Tom. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I do know why I have such admiration for you, but because you try, and that's just the thing. I, I think we're complicating this because I know this is a political station, but it all goes back to you. You reap what you sow. You, you, you know, when 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 this thing with um, Floyd went down. I was on my, you know, I was so upset. I was going to go buy me a shotgun and everything. And something happened to my truck, and I had to take that money and 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 and, and buy something to fix my truck. And, and I, I got in my garage and I I started crying and I thought and I said, God, thank you because I didn't want to. I I said, thank you, Lord, <laughs> because right. that's something that's not natural. It's to buy, to yeah. do something like that to hurt someone. We just have to keep trying. Yeah, uh, well said. And yeah, we all experience that rage from time to time. And I think we need to learn from it rather than act on it. Good on you. This other story is one that I'm, I'm frankly really conflicted about. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I remember must be 10 years ago, it was more than, maybe even a little more than 10 years ago, we were living back here in Oregon. I was doing the morning show on KPOJ and I was doing my afternoon show on Air America. And Louise and I were living in a floating home community south of here, down on the Willamette River. And 
I had never seen the movie Birth of a Nation, which was the first full-length movie ever made. I mean, the first actual full-length movie, and it's it's a silent film, as I recall. And it was a big deal when it came out. It was screened by Woodrow Wilson, who was a Democrat, but nonetheless a fulminating racist. He, he, he genuinely was a white supremacist. It was, fil- it was previewed by him in the White House. And it got national news. It was seen in theaters all across the United States. And it was basically a recruiting film for the Ku, Ku Klux Klan. And Birth of a Nation is about how after the Civil War, black people... Uh, were taking political power, particularly in the Carolinas and in Georgia, and uh, sitting and eating watermelon in the in the state capitol without shoes on, that kind of thing. And, I mean, it's just filled with racist. And Louise and I watched that, and I got this, oh, my God. In that moment, in a way that I never could have really gotten, I think, in any other way, understood the deep, pernicious unquestioned nature of racism in 1913 in the white community in America and where it was coming from and the stories that white people were telling themselves about history. Well, HBO has pulled Gone with the Wind. Now, they say they're going to bring it back. And, and when I first saw that they pulled it, I said, well, why don't they just put a, you know, a, 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 a two or three minute thing at the beginning and maybe a 20 or 30 minute thing at the end that talks about how, how racist basically Gone with the Wind is. And I confess, I've never watched Gone with the Wind. I know what the story is. You know, I had to, uh, when I was in elementary school, as I recall, I read a Cliff Notes thing on it. But, um, you know, it's set in the American Civil War and it, it portrays slavery as, as slaves as basically happy people, enslaved people as, oh, yeah, yeah everything's good. Um, but is that a good idea to, to pull it out of circulation, essentially? Or should we be going out of our way to watch these pieces of our racist history so that we can realize, particularly white people, realize how this stuff was embedded in us? How this uh, race awareness, for lack of a, which obviously leads to racism, was just poured into our brains as, as children and as young adults by our media. Or, hey, it's racist on its face, let's just get rid of it. Which is the best way to deal with this? You know, I frankly think I could argue either one. I certainly think it needs to be labeled. It needs to be identified. It needs to be clearly identified as having racist content. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, D. Hahnemann over on uh, Twitter tweets, uh, Tom, just watch Gone with the Wind. It is art. It does not need a warning. The story speaks to it for itself. You are missing an important piece of culture. The movie is not, all caps, N-O-T, history. But it inspires a study of history. The movie is not the book. The movie is worthwhile. Enjoy it. Well, I, I confess I haven't read the book either. Uh, but like I said, I th- I'm pretty sure I read the Cliff Notes way back when. Although, maybe not. I, you know, it's... it's so anyway, so much to talk about. You know, the Tom Cotton stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this for tomorrow because I think that this is, I, I want to do a, a little deeper dive than that. And, 
frankly like to leave the last half hour of the show for your calls. So uh, let's uh, pick up some of your phone calls here. Jose in Toledo, Ohio. Hey, Jose, what's on your mind today? Well, we were, you were discussing about the movie and that's what uh, how racist it is. And it, I've, I've sat through most of it. I couldn't sit through all of it. But I find that mm-hmm. um, when I went to college at Bowling Green State University, we had an ethnic studies department and our Latino student union pushed to have uh, the elective uh, on the elective list for students to take ethnic studies classes, which were black history, Latino, Native American, or Asian people history, just to further try to mm-hmm. open their minds up, you know, to what they could learn before they left college, other than the picture they were painted by the skimpy stories in history books in high school, which is like two pages for the Native American struggle maybe three quarters of a page for Latino immigration where they got nothing, you know? And I think uh, I was talking to the person who answered your phone that we need to like push to have the history books be more uh, reality based almost, you know, not some myth about Mm -hmm. the manifest destiny, which is a racist concept in itself. Uh, But, the actual struggle and how did America get where it's at? It was America was born on genocide. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But, you know, the destruction of Native people here was how America became great. And that same philosophy expanded when they became a, uh, an empire. Always the nature of capitalism. You have to dominate somebody so they can be stronger, I guess. You know, somebody has to lose yeah. and somebody has to win, basically. You know, yeah, and it goes beyond uh, capitalism, I'd say even imperialism. But but, Jose, are you suggesting that um, HBO should or should not have pulled that movie from circulation? If they're going to play it, I think they have to really explain prior to showing that this is this is some fictional fictional piece of work, because uh, being a slave or being in the case of Latinos under the encomienda of the Spanish crown in Mexico, you're basically a slave. It's no vacation. You know, in the encomienda, people belong. If a guy got land, the people came with it. Well, basically ownership. It's no vacation. And yet, you know, the portrayal, the, Af- the African-American maid in that movie, is it's like she's loyal to these people and, and to myself, I, I just don't know, couldn't envision in real life people being that loyal unless you were the taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, I, yeah. I think if they're going to show it, it is, I guess they were great actors, but mm-hmm. did it show reality? And unfortunately, people take movies at face value and not really uh, look into to the real story, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, this is I think this is fairly clearly a period piece, but I, point well made. Jose, thank you. Thank you for calling and thank you for sharing your perspective with us. Tony in Long Beach, California, your thoughts. Um, I don't think they should pull it because half of the movies in there, they would need to pull because of the racist imagery and everything else. You know, this whole thing, I'm just it's so exhausting. There is no way you should go tit for tat. What people of color and then black people, because I'm black, is separate and not even worry about it. The thing that most 
uh, so-called minorities, which we are not, if you look on the world stage, is worrying about what people, white people are doing and, and how we can reach them and how we can. Uh, no, white people, you have to do what you have to do to realize uh, your own racism. Everybody else, all black, brown people, black people, we need to build our communities and keep it pushing and keep our money in our communities. Do what Jewish people do, do what Asian people do, and they don't care. Who, what, what, uh, you know, is going on in society, they don't have to because they control their communities. And that's what we need to do because if we start this tit for tat and, and, and trying to figure out what's racist, what's not, you know what is and what isn't. And white people do too. So you, yeah, you need to take, Einstein said racism is the disease of white people. Einstein said that. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. But I would say also that for Jewish people living in uh, in Poland and Germany, uh, essentially self-isolating or living in small, tight communities uh, didn't work out so well in the 1930s and, and early 1940s. Um, but we're talking about now. That, <laughs> yeah, so you're suggesting that we should not be an integrated society, that we should be a segregated society, Tony? It's not going to happen in that sense, but uh, Jewish people here in the United States are so co- are somewhat segregated. They have their own communities. Italian people. I don't think so. Pardon me. I mean, you know, yeah, you've got you've got you've got some areas where you've got neighborhoods that might describe themselves as ethnic neighborhoods: Italian, um, Jewish, uh, you know, uh, Irish, whatever. But but by and large, I would say that most of uh, the groups that had historic essentially racism directed at them, uh, Jewish people, Italian people, and, and uh, uh, Irish people, have largely integrated themselves into the, the larger white culture, in quotes. Um, and, you know, which raises this whole other question that, that you know, uh, back in the day Malcolm X was talking about, um, which is, is that, is that the culture everybody should have? I mean, you know, how, how do we define our culture? Although it seems to me, and and I I don't present myself as any authority on this, that that our entire culture, as we become more um, integrated, for lack of a better word, is changing in a positive direction and a more pluralistic direction. But it's still gradual. It's still on the terms that white uh, supremacy puts out there. All I'm saying is, let's face it, American culture is based on a lot of black culture. We created jazz. We created blues. We created rap. Everybody's making money off of it but us. And all I'm saying is, Mm. like Malcolm would say, is to separate into your own communities. It's already there. The, 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 Mm. (laughs) The integration hasn't really happened. Not really, or we wouldn't have police killing us the way they do. So my thing is, I'm not worried about trying to get you to understand um, your racism or how you treated me or what. What I can do is pull my money into my into my community, build my community, make sure my children are educated or have health care or whatever, and not waste another ounce of energy having a kumbaya moment it's just not working it hasn't worked in 400 except years. tony i you know i get it i totally get what you're saying 
except that the levers of power in the society are almost entirely controlled by white people. I mean, the 10 richest Americans, 100% white. Congress, 90% white. U.S. governors, 96% white. Top military advisors, 100% white. House Freedom Caucus, 100% white. Presidential cabinet, 99% white. Uh, uh, people who decide which books we read, 90% white. People who decide which news is covered, 85% white. Teachers, 82% white. College professors, 84% white. Uh, you know, uh, people who directed the top 10, 100 grossing films, 95% white. I mean, if, if we're all living in this society, you and me being, you know, you being black, me being white, we're all living together in this society. And that society, the power structure of that society is white. Don't we have an obligation to both of us, both you and me, to do what we can to change the dimensions of the white society to 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 work for everybody? How has it happened? How have we done it so far? Is that way because of yeah. a plan and white supremacy? So I'm not going to worry about. Yeah, uh, well, trying to, I'm, I can worry yeah. about my own community. I can't do that. It's, yeah, it's I get that it. way and, because there's a and, and, I, and I can see my, I, I, forgive my talking over you, Tony. We're going to hit a break here in just a second. But I, I can kind of see my own answer to my own question is, this is a white people problem. White people started this problem, caused this problem. White people have to fix this problem. What say you? So, Real quick. There you go. That we can agree on. Yes, no. Okay, Tony, thank you very much. Great to hear from you. Good talking with you. We'll be back. It's 45 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with more of your calls and the news of the day right after this. Stick around. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Uh, The place where we dare to ask, is Walmart a person? No, not not a chance. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? My thoughts today uh, might be very simplistic or bit complicated, depending on where you sit. I I think there's something in our culture that prevents us from moving forward, and that's basically just the basic understanding that feelings aren't facts and facts aren't feelings. Um, I'll give a quick example. Well, two, two examples. One is, you know, when we say defund the police, People have suggestions. They might be well-intentioned, but they're feelings. The facts are that 469,000 teachers have been laid off, and a lot of state governors are are talking about more layoffs. Where I live in New Jersey, the governor is saying he's going to have to lay off 200,000 people. So to fund the police might be um, a harsh-sounding word, but if you look at the percentages and whatnot, there really is no other choice but to defund the police unless our values are that we want to live like in East Germany in the 1980s. The second thing I want to respond to is I personally try to stick up for, for minorities. 
um, there's a, a, a law that was an ordinance that was in a village I used to live in that said that they, they deliberately did not follow the New York state law. That's, that means that, that if you're accustomed of that law, your due process rights or your 14th Amendment rights are being, are being right. violated because you, you have to be able to understand a law to, to comply with it. And I, I was actually going to have all my tickets wiped out, but I chose to stick up for, for minorities because minorities, the law said you could be ticketed as a, only a parking violation, but you could be ticketed between 3 and 5 in the morning, and it would, it would mostly fall on minorities. So as a white person, I took my white responsibility to stand up on it. Well, I have to tell you that the, the first thing I said in that courtroom when I said this is unconstitutional, I had six policemen surrounding me, and it was scary. And then from there on in, I literally got chased out of the village because I got a boatload of, of uh, traffic tickets where I wasn't even guilty. So I'll, yeah. I'll just say, David, I, I you know, unless in, in OK, I get I get your point that you're concerned about teachers and uh, the rest of it. I don't I frankly don't get uh, Leonard in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey, Leonard, what's on your mind? I don't know. Listening to your show, my mind's all over the place now. But uh, I originally called in to uh, speak about the uh, the police. Uh, my feelings on the police, I think one major problem they have, and it goes all the way up to the top uh, in the police box, is their, their so-called uh, unspoken blue code of silence. Uh, mm. uh, uh, that's when the, uh, the unspoken rule Many police agencies in the country, the code of honor, well, they call it a code of honor. I don't see how it's a code of honor. But it's code of honor in the police uh, brotherhood where giving information about another police officer of wrongdoings is considered an act of betrayal. Well, you know, yep. that, that, tell, that to me is a, is a equivalent of, of obstruction of justice or, or even conspiracy. I think if they're going to retrain these police, uh, they need to go all the way to the top and, and do it. Uh, not unlike uh, most of uh, America's military academies and, and, and schools and colleges do, uh, they have a code of honor. Yeah, fix the whole thing. Leonard, I agree with you. Thank you. Tricia in Snohomish, Washington. Hey, Tricia, what's up? Hi, it's Trista. Um, Trista, I'm sorry. I wanted sorry. to share my experience with Mike with the uh, cops. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a, I was like a 65-year-old lady, white, and I had just gone to the Wells Fargo Bank, and right next to the Wells Fargo Bank was Wendy's. And so I thought, okay, I'll go over to Wendy's, and I'll um, you know, get a sandwich. And so I had the money that I had just taken from the ATM, and I handed the, do um, the money to the girl, and she says, just a minute, I'll be right with you. I'm going, this is taking an awful long time. All of a sudden, the cops show up. And they come over in my car, and they go, oh, we hear that you're passing counterfeit money. And I'm going, Whoa. what? I just got this money from the bank, the ATM. And um, so anyway, so they says, well, we'll follow you. We'll let you drive your own car to the bank, and we'll follow you. But don't you dare make a run for it. So I went <laughs> over to the bank, and the cops went with me, and we went up to the teller, and the teller goes, this is not counterfeit. This is old old currency. And I told her, I said, just got it from the ATM. 
And she said, this, should have, this has been out of uh, circulation, circulation for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so bizarre. But but here's the thing, Trista. The fact that you weren't dragged out of the out of your car, the thing, the fact that you weren't arrested, um, the fact that you weren't killed. Um, you know, it's 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 like I'm reminded that after Dylan Roof murdered people in a church in South Carolina, he was taken by the police to Burger King on the way to jail. I'm guessing you're white. That's right. I'm a white sixty. I was a white sixty-five-year-old woman. You know, so yeah, there you go. so that's how I got treated. But I wanted to say also add, add to the fact I used to work for the Bureau of Prisons, U.S. Bureau of Prisons, and I found mm-hmm. out that if I treated the inmates with respect, I got respect in return and had less trouble. Which is kind of a basic human, I think, fact. Yeah. Well said and, and well done. Thank you very much for the call, Trista. Kathleen in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, Kathleen, what's on your mind? A lot of people don't know it, but children learn racism in school because if you've ever heard of Jane Elliott, she does a documentary way back in uh, history the, about the... That's the blue blue eyes, brown eyes uh, experiment? The full version of it is on uh, A Class Divided on YouTube, the full thing put out by Frontline. Everybody can watch that. But in another video, she also points out the maps, the world maps in all schools are geographically wrong because they train young eyes onto majority-controlled white country. Never in the majority of history classes does any, any of them teach the Mountain Metal Massacre where Mormons killed white settlers and blamed Native Americans, okay, and which is how we assassinated Native Americans. They were called savages you know, and took over the uh, Black Hills kind of thing. What we need to do is start young, change the maps, change the history to where you're teaching actual history and not white racist history. And by the way, I'm white, and I was blessed to have an actual good teacher in high school who taught these things. So I don't have the same views. Okay, thank you. I get it. You're welcome. And and I think that's why we're seeing so much pushback right now. Several statues of Christopher Columbus, not just in the United States, but around the world in the last week have been taken down or broken up. One was beheaded. There's a connection here. This is all one thing. Racism, imperialism, capitalism, this entire corrupt system. And it needs to be repealed and replaced. Our country doesn't work without you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Be good to yourself and those around you, please. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.